This is Stories of the Land Connect, and I'm your host, Rebecca Dallinger. We will hear from diverse people and communities of the northern and northwest Minnesota's rural landscape. This is where the prairie meets the pines, the headwaters of the Mississippi flows, where the hardwoods and the tamarack trees meet. This is a place of many rivers, lakes, and watersheds. This is home. Carson Gardner is a country doctor and poet. Near the beginning of the pandemic, I was at the local grocery store when I saw Carson, and as we talked, six feet apart, he recited one of his poems. I'm Carson Gardner. I'm an old family doctor with over 40 years of family practice experience in rural northern Minnesota. The last 21 years I've spent on the White Earth Anishinaabe Ojibwe Reservation, and I am a poet. Is there any other words you would describe yourself with? I guess you'd have to say I'm a T. I have Ojibwe Anishinaabe blood, probably Salto, not from the White Earth Nation. 21 years ago, my wife Gail and I came here. I believe the land called me here. Uh, I worked at the Indian Health Service Clinic for 12 years, and I have now worked for the tribe health department for nine years and the ambulance medical director and I am a helper of other tribal health care and behavioral health care departments and programs and that fits well with my personality as a poet and I guess I'm an introverted person I like quiet natural bases on the land we saw each other at the supermarket one day we and, did. and I was wondering if you would be willing to to say the poem that you so beautifully spoke in the frozen food section. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't said it for a while. We'll see if I can do it. It's funny, I'm a poet, but I'm not a poet who intuitively remembers all my poetry. I have, often have to go back and read my own poetry from a piece of paper. Together at six feet apart defies science, religion, and art, but Somehow we'll get through to the day bright and new when friends, hugs, and handshakes restart. Sorry for the hesitation. <laughs> Great. To get my old brain synapses working. <laughs> that poem was lovely at that moment. It was needed. You, know, you, and I could, you and I can both laugh because there was a lady who was a stranger to me and I presume to you in the aisle there hesitating and trying to social distance and she... As I recall, she clapped and said some positive words about the poem, too. So, These interviews are really about stories of the land and why this place is important to us. I will tell you my story, and that's the sum and substance. Everything else will be details that are debatable, but the land called me here. Several things happened, and so I'm going to tell you a rambling story. Hope your recorder doesn't run out. I have Ojibwe blood. I was raised in a very Western way, did not have connections to either White Earth or other Ojibwe reservations up here, but my family in past generations had connections to both Red Lake and Leech Lake. I had a cousin about 15 years older than me. My mom mentored her when she was a teenager, and like many teenagers, had conflicts with her folks. And then my mom died when I was a child, and so as I was growing up as a teen, my older cousin, who had been mentored by my mom, 
completed the circle and mentored me. She gave me some good uh, basic teachings about Ojibwe spirituality. And with those, I had a few Ojibwe words. I knew the word makwa, bear, because my grandfather's Labrador retriever was named makwa. I knew an interesting word, wanikan or wanigan. It's an Ojibwe word that can mean a hole in the ground where food and supplies are stored, but it can also mean a boat with a shed. My grandparents had a wanikan. They had a boat with a shed. It was a very crude craft, but in a sense, it was a houseboat for them. So I learned that word as a kid, and I learned the word shanawishkung, uh, which is a big word for a preschool kid to learn, but shanawishkung is the name of the man that European heritage people call Chief Bemidji. I am his great-great-nephew by marriage, not by blood, by marriage. And that's always meant something to me, but I grew up living a very Western life. I went to college, went to medical school. My dream was to become a rural family doctor, and so I did that. And my wife, Gail, who's a dietitian, very graciously came along on the ride with me, and we spent nearly 20 years in a small town in northern Minnesota, and I worked for a for-profit medical practice. And I'd done that for about 20 years. I was getting tired and burned out and disgusted with for-profit medicine. And I was also thinking about the fact that I was growing older, middle-aged, and wasn't finding out about my Ojibwe heritage. And so one day, like any other day, I came home late on a summer evening, uh, disgusted that I was two and a half hours late for supper, parked the car in the driveway. We lived out in the Jack Pines a few miles outside a small northern Minnesota town, not on the reservation. I got out of the car and there was a heron standing on our driveway looking at me. I didn't know what to do, didn't know what it meant. I knelt down and the heron stayed there. And we just looked at each other and it seemed like forever, but it was probably only about five minutes. And then the heron flew, but didn't fly away. It kind of flew across our yard and into the jack pines. I immediately ran right behind it into the jack pines and it was not there. It was not there anywhere. It flew into the jack pines, not at treetop level, at mid height, and it was not there. So I went into the house and my wife standing by the window and she saw the heron too. So, so we talked about that. And I have, to, I have to tease myself. Ojibwe humor often uses self-teasing. So I will tell you this. And fortunately, my beard will cover my blush. What I did at that point was I immediately jumped in the car, drove into town and bought a lottery ticket. And I didn't hit on one number. I said to creator, well, I knew that creator. I knew this wasn't about good luck. I knew it had to be more than good luck. So that's my, that's my self-teasing story. So I went home. Gail and I talked about that, and we're both people who, whose lives have centered on spiritual things. And so we discussed what it might mean, didn't know, finished our evening. I had my cold supper, and, and we went to bed. And then about 5 o'clock the next morning, our dogs, we've always rescued dogs, and we've tended to rescue Great Danes. And so our big Great Dane started barking like crazy, and I got up, went to the front door, and that heron was standing on our front if you imagine me being on plus the evening before, I was totally disarrayed at that point. I did not try to follow the hair and it flew out into the jack pines again. And that's the last time I saw it. So that was a serious point of self-examination in my life. Gail and I had no idea what it meant. But shortly after that, probably less than two weeks, we went to a music presentation in town that was put on by 
an Ojibwe mother and daughter, Ann Dunn and Annie Humphrey. We met them uh, and gradually became friends and eventually worked on that music project together that resulted in the Heron Smiled album, for which I wrote about nine of the of the lyrics because I'm a poet and I like writing poetry in lyric form. So we found out sometime after we became acquainted with them that they are Heron play. So that's the first part of the story. What happened is after that watershed experience, I decided it was time to make a major change and I began looking and rapidly discovered they needed a family doctor in White Earth. So middle-aged, Gail and I took a big risk. We left the practice in that rural town and moved to White Earth and I began working for IHS. And there's a whole lot of story there that's probably not pertinent to our discussion, but that was not the only way the land called me. In our friendship with Anne and Annie, we, some months after the Heron experience, we got a chance to attend a gathering in which people of Native and non-Native heritage were getting together to do a cleansing of the land ceremony on a piece of land outside the small rural town where we lived. It was a beautiful piece of forested land, but it had a history of some pretty terrible things that had happened to Native people there in past generations, and a group of people decided there should be a, a ceremony cleansing the land. And on Friday evening, there were probably 60 or 70 people there, and a very large abalone shell with a lot of mushkodewashk sage in it uh, was circulated around the whole group so everyone could smudge. The evening opening ceremonies happened. They were beautiful. At the end of the ceremony, the leader uh, asked for people willing to tend the fire, uh, the sacred fire that had been started and would burn all weekend. I was not very knowledgeable yet about traditional ceremonies, but I was enthusiastic and I uh, was right there volunteering. I was given the task of tending the fire from 10 p.m. until I think about 1 a.m. and then someone took over for me. I was advised simply to spend the time adding wood to the fire when necessary, quietly meditate in whatever way was right for me, be comfortable with the fact that the spirits would be there at the fire. I did that without the depth and breadth of Ojibwe spiritual knowledge I've acquired over the last several decades. And everything was fine. It was beautiful, felt safe, and uh, I was quite comfortable. I was quite wide awake. At about midnight, that large uh, abalone shell that was sitting by a tree about five or six feet away from the fire where I was sitting, that shell burst into flame. The flames were eight or ten inches high. My initial thought was, okay, who's playing a joke on me? Somebody dumped gasoline in there or lighter fluid and lit it. So come on out and laugh at me. I'm not going to jump and scream and run away. But there was no one there. And I didn't know what to do. So I went over to the shell and I picked it up. It was so hot that it was very hard to hold on to it. But I picked it up and the flames were still coming eight or ten inches off the shell where there was only ashes. I simply walked around the fire. I knew enough to walk in a clockwise direction. Parenthetically, at meetings, if people are going to each talk, if they go counterclockwise, I say, hey, this isn't a Lakota meeting. This is an Ojibwe meeting. And they laugh at me. So I, I walked in a clockwise direction, and it took about five minutes, and then the flames stopped. I set the shell down, but I knew that that was going to be another watershed event in my life. And so I finished my 
time tending fire and left the next morning. I talked to an Ojibwe elder there, told them what had happened and asked them what it meant. And they smiled and said, Gardner, I don't know what it means, but I think you're right. It's something very important. And I think if you truly want to know, Creator will show you what it means. And, and in fact, I haven't given you the correct timeline because at that point, we still hadn't made the decision to come to White Earth. So it was very shortly after that I got the opportunity and made the decision to come to White Earth. One little tale to the story, I always tell people that I've gone to 23 years of school and, and I skipped kindergarten. So I'm a very intellectual, westernized, a Western-trained physician, but I'm also an Anishinaabe Anini. This is what the land did out of kindness to me, realizing at that point that I was very westernized and that I might miss a lot of spiritual signals. At that time, the internet was just getting going, but I sat down from our home in the small town where we lived when we knew we were coming to Park Rapids, and I got on the internet. And by golly, there was an internet for sale ad for a house on the res, the only one. So there wasn't much choice. I looked at it, showed it to Gail, and we called the realtor, and we went and looked at the house while we were standing on the deck of the house, which is the house we've lived in for 21 years. The realtor was talking to us. An eagle flew down to the water and grabbed a fish and flew away. And, and, and uh, the realtor, who was not Ojibwe, just looked at us and said, we planned that. <laughs> so, uh, but that's not my point. My point is uh, we purchased the house. We're still living in the house. But when I went later into the bathroom of the house and opened the mirror on the medicine chest on the inside of the mirror on the silver portion of the mirror uh, commercially etched was the name I assume of the company that made the mirror uh, my name is Carson Gardner C-A-R-S-O-N-G-A-R-D-N-E-R and the name on the inside of the mirror was C-A-R, capital C-A-R, capital G-A-R-D. Now, most people will say, oh, it's a coincidence, Gardner, don't make anything out of it. But I'm explaining to you that the land called me here, the heron, the shell, and because I was very westernized at that point in my life, uh, that inscription on the back of the mirror in the house we're still living in. So that's overwhelming poetic evidence that the land called me here. That does not mean I'm a great hero or I've accomplished astounding things. I've been a family doctor and I'm now a desk jockey medical administrator, but I've had a chance every day to learn lessons from the land, lessons from kind friends and neighbors who have taught me traditional teachings from Nenandawi Iwedag and Nenandawi Iwedag My wife and I uh, have both been adopted. Uh, my sister Carol is a Medewan uh, healer here on the res. She adopted me. Her dear friend Rhonda adopted my wife Gail. And, and there's more humor uh, because Carol is a white earth enrollee, but Rhonda was a Red Lake enrollee. So all my friends here said, you're married to a Red Laker now. You better <laughs> lots, of, lots of wonderful therapeutic humor in Ojibwe relationships. So really... That's the whole story, except I've been here for 21 years. I receive lessons from the land every day. I've received a whole lot more than I've given, but I've been able to 
be a helper for lots of Anishinaabe, Dakota, Lakota people and people of other Native nations and people who are non-Natives but also love this land and live here. So I'm very thankful. And last year I had a very serious motor ac- motorcycle accident, 19 fractures, collapsed lung, internal bleeding, ruptured kidney, a damaged adrenal gland, six back fractures, or I guess five back fractures and a neck fracture. I wasn't sure I was going to live and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to work as a doctor again, but I spent three months at home on that deck looking out at the lake where that uh, eagle had caught the fish and I went back to work the Monday after Labor Day. So that's a gift. And once again, I don't have any particular agenda. People who hear my story may believe it or not believe it or attribute it to coincidence or good medical care, but I'm still here because there are still things I need to learn from the land. That's beautiful. Yeah. I think you've answered this, but, and I'll just ask the question and maybe there's something else within it. But when you think about with the healing and the connection of the land and the woods and the water, what would you tell, tell or share with another? Yes, it can make change. It's profoundly changed my life. I think listening to the land taking a humble approach. How can I explain it? Okay, here's the prayer I pray every morning. It's not the whole prayer, uh, but it's part of the prayer. Here I am again, creator. Your broken pieces. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of breath and dreams and choices. I choose to walk the good path with you, creator. I choose to honor you, the source of all. I choose to honor all of your creation, my wiser, kinder brothers and sisters. I choose to honor elders. I choose to honor women and children. I choose to be peaceful. I choose to be kind. I choose to be courageous. I choose to be honest and faithful in keeping my promises. I choose to live a life in balance. But I'm a pathetic two-legged creator. On my own, I will fail. Help me to listen very, very carefully for your voice this day. Help me to hold out my hand and follow you in the circle dance of this day. All I know for sure is I love you. That's enough to get me through this day. All I know for sure is I love you. Love can save a fool with feet of clay. I am that fool for you, I'm here to say. That's how I start each day and how I end each day and often how I, in the middle of the day when I'm frustrated or angry or or discouraged or frightened, And I don't know how else to say it, but if I get too busy and don't pay attention, then I'm too dumb to realize the land is offering me lessons every day all around me. So I have to stop and humble down and pay attention to what the land is saying. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything else that... People joke about me bringing in for a landing gardener. I could keep talking, but I think there comes a time to stop. Because the most important lessons of the land has for us, we often can't put into words. We just have to carry them in our heart. Mm. Many thanks to everyone who's been part of telling their stories of the Land Connect. Thank you for the generosity of your time and the beauty of your words. Again, I am your host, Rebecca Dallinger. Special thanks to mentors and podcasters, Shirley Nordrum and Zach Page. The theme song is by Zach Page. 
You can find Zach's podcast seed stories on his North Circle Seed Company page. This series couldn't have been done without the generous support of the University of Minnesota's Wiseman Art Museum and the Itasca Biological Field Station, as well as the generous support of Extension's Regional Sustainable Development Partnerships, also known as RSDP. To find out more about sustainability projects in your county, go to extension.umn.edu slash regional partnerships. Thank you.